0: Only on 3CR
1: 855
0: AM digital and 3cr.org.au. 3CR 855 AM digital, 3cr.org.au. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. And if you want to get in touch with the show, lots of ways to do it. You can look for me on Facebook. Look for Out of the Pan's page on Facebook. You can text in six one four zero one zero seven eight nine eight one. You can tweet at Sal Gold Said so and that's the bottom line. And if you're traditional, you can email Out of the Pan eight five five at gmail.com. Well, a few couple of months ago, or um, about, or there are boots. I put my money penny suit on and went and um, chatted to, um, at a lunchtime event for Globe, the business organisation in the Rainbow community um, in Melbourne. And um, I've got to say, it was a pretty enjoyable experience. Um, so, dare I say, three CR, those seed, so, seed um, sowers of seed, sowers of seeding, seeding of sowers, those descent sowers or whatever we are, um, we infiltrated the corporate sector. No, not really. It was, a, it was a, I think it was almost a harmonious meeting. Anyway, um, I'm not going to waste any time. Let's just dive into the panel. Um, the speakers will be introduced or introduce themselves as they go along. And let's have a, a listen to see what we came up with on the topic of queer in the corporate sector.
1: Then. I'm just gonna give it to you for the moment, So, what I thought we'd do today, it's a panel, of course, so I have a set of series of questions, but I'm actually very happy to take questions from the floor as we go. So, if you have a question that you you know want to ask and don't necessarily want to wait until the end, i encourage you to put your hand up. Okay, so the first question I have for the panel as I sit down is the phrase pink washing is you know reasonably new and is good uh, had a little bit of traction of late, I think uh, one of the large banks is probably one of the best at it, uh, the ANZ, one of the competitors, um, and I would like to get your opinion on what you believe pink washing is, and what, what you see it is, and how have you seen examples of this within the um, community, business community?
2: I'll start. Go for it, like you've got that. the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it depends who you talk to as to what pinkwashing means. Um, there are so it, it sort of started off as an activist term, um, very much left-leaning, um, sort of came out as, with negative connotations um, in reaction to what many activists saw as the pinkwashing, you know, the combining the term pink, which is obviously associated with gays, um, and whitewashing, um, which is sort of the process of removing anything identifiable um, to a particular, in this example, community um, to make it sort of blend with everything else. So if we take that definition and look at pinkwashing, it's it's sort of the co-optation of our symbols, of of our beliefs, um, of our structures and whatnot um, for the gain of organisations, governments or individuals. Um, Or alternatively another definition is um, an organisation, government or individual um, appearing to be gay friendly. Um, you could end that with um, for your own benefit um, or, or for purely altruistic purposes. It, it really depends on each case. Um, so I really don't think that we need to take a negative connotation with it because there are certainly benefits to be made. Um, and so I think being able to look at it from various perspectives is most important. So that's, that's how Absolutely. I view proportionally. Yeah.
1: Anyone else? Uh, yeah, all right.
0: I think I'd agree with the gist of that but like so many things it's about just drilling below the surface a bit and asking not so much what but how and so something that can appear to be um, really good may not really be as win-win or as well thought out as it could be and I'd like to give an exa- a couple of examples of one bad, one good um, I'll, we'll get the bad news out of the way first <laughs> Ida Hobbit Day, May 17th, International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. This came my way, and I'll take naturally responsibility for the telling of the story, of an organisation that organised an event on that day, on or around that day. There was no introduction as to what the day was about, there was no um, explanation as to why it was important, and all the organisation did was wait for it to put on something like queer party pies and rainbow sausage rolls. That's been quite, that is just shallow, meaningless. There's clearly been no consultation with, and I'm going to use the term LGBTI communities, because all are equally important. But to give good, a good example, and I'm not just saying this because this person is three seats away from me, to give one from National Australia Bank. National Australia Bank introduced around 18 months ago a policy for trans and gender diverse, with some benefits for people experiencing intersex in relation to the time of affirmation of someone's gender identity. Because of our birth certificate laws, which are largely surgery based, whilst one can change their name relatively easily enough, um, because, and I'll use myself as a sort of straw case, and this is actually a real life thing, most birth certificate laws in Australia are still surgery based, and obviously you're not going to have surgery until maybe two years down the track. And I'm not having surgery at all, so I'm stuck right now with a birth certificate that says Sally Goldman male. This causes a lot of problems for trans people at the time of transition and sometimes individual bank employees have said, oh I'm not changing that, you're a fraudster or whatever. Um, National Australia Bank to their credit developed a policy that complied with the law as it stands and did what we'll call good human and customer service, a win-win solution that benefits everyone. That is, um, well I'll call that pink elephant stamp or something instead. That's not pink washing, and that I just say very much deserves a big tick. So there's some contrasts to get us thinking.
3: Thanks so much for that. I mean, uh, um, I remember very clearly uh, um, we decided when we launched our LGBTI network, which is about raising awareness uh, in our organisation uh, about uh, LGBTI people, particularly for our our more senior uh, to begin with. Um, I participated in some unconscious bias work a, a number of years ago, and what became very clear was that um, the la- level of understanding uh, about LGBTI issues was, 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 was a way off where it needed to be. Um, so what we wanted to do in launching the network was to communicate very strongly and very clearly into our business and uh, support for LGBTI people. So we picked Midsummer, uh, and we picked Midsummer for a very, very clear reason. And that was and you could say that we wanted to be out in the community uh, talking to customers and, and the community generally to, gen, to generate and, uh, and, and communicate our support but actually that wasn't why we did it we did it because we wanted to communicate internally and we thought if we went externally uh, uh, that would send a really strong message back into the company which it did but i remember on the second time that we were there uh, being picked up on this precise issue uh, on the, the carnival sunday uh, about um, precisely that issue around how in our branches our staff treat people uh, that are going precisely through uh, uh, that type of uh, situation where they wouldn't change their name. As a consequence, we were horrified, uh, and but it led us to go back into the organization and say, so what the hell do we have to do to update our policies procedures, but really importantly educate all of our branch staff. So we got the policies <coughs> procedures changed, uh, but then we also put in place uh, a, a program of education uh, for everybody that works in the branch about LGBTI issues and particularly uh, transgender uh, type issues. So thanks very much for that. That was a very, it was a big, I, I didn't know what to do with that piece of feedback on the Sunday. But literally, I think within probably six months we'd, we'd addressed it. So it uh, was a very positive outcome. And
4: for me pinkwashing um, takes me back to when I had a, a then partner, and we established an organisation called Tearaway Travel. At the time, Tearaway was a member of Globe. In fact, we were members of Globe 14, 16, 18 years ago. Um, Globe was probably just starting up. And for us, pig washing was a gay travel agency, a small start-up, working its guts out <coughs> to deliver to community. Um, Fundraising for gay community. That's how I was fortunate to meet Sally. We used to um, sponsor Melbourne Marching Girls and Sally used to get out there in a the marching gear. I've got some photos if you want to see <laughs> <laughs>
0: them. They were photos before Facebook. I was blackmailed anyway. Yeah.
4: And so we'd sponsor, we put thousands of dollars back into community. We'd, we had a, a, a philosophy that one-fifth of our profit would go back into gay community, queer community. And um, we'd do the work We'd uh, do the itineraries, and nine out of ten the gay boys and the lesbians would come to us, get the itineraries done, and go to the Flight Center or Stupid Travel <laughs> or somewhere. Um, and those organisations at the time, they have been really good at it for 20 years. They'll put their token gay boys at the front counter, they'll put their lesbian staff to attract the girls coming through. I don't think they have any trans staff, Sally. Probably, they, not, probably not. But they put them at the front counter and they, they sap the life out of. Businesses that work in the travel sector. And I spent a time on the Gay um, and Lesbian Tourism Association National Board, and that was a common thing right across all parts of the tourism sector where um, gay, pink washing or gay washing would take place and they would almost cuckoo themselves into our businesses and take the lifeblood out of our businesses. Mind you, we could do a better thing, but there's a good side. We'd go to Midsummer and Pride and Um, chill out carnivals, have a stall, and we'd sell a third of our year's profit would come from a queer community event, Mm -hmm. where we could then generate the funds and jump a little bit ahead of the the businesses that were pinkwashing us.
1: just following on from that and businesses who are pinkwashing, I think that there are some great examples of large corporates who do an amazing job in this space. And by amazing job, I think they actually are at the forefront and sort of uh, championing the LGBTI communities in the business sense. And I think you see that in some of our large banks, the ANZ, the NAB. Also, you see that in the likes of Price Waterhouse, who have been incredibly positive at Ernst & Young. What are, you, what are your perspectives on uh, some other organisations out there who might not be doing this with... Good intentions, like these other organisations, who have been supportive of the community for a very long time. What, what is your perspective on organisations who might not be doing it with, with, but doing it as a PR exercise? <laughs> I can see your hand raising. <laughs> um,
3: so I, I, I didn't really know what pinkwashing meant actually. Mm. So when I got asked to, to, to participate, uh, I looked it, I googled it, and I, it, and I thought, oh, actually that's quite cynical perspective yeah. online yeah, uh, was my initial personal uh, reaction to it and um, i get it I understand I understand why uh, there is that perspective I, I don't have that perspective myself um, I, I actually I mean I've only ever worked in large corporates uh, and, and I' think there are good people that are generally and genuinely trying to create uh, organizations that are better places to, to live and work uh, and, I think when you get the opportunity to influence uh, the agenda in a way where you can face into your customers and communities and convey acceptance, uh, um, I think that's a good thing. Um, sure, you know, at times there's going to be a level of, of, of exploit, possibly exploitation, um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a pragmatist, and I like to try and see the good side of things. So maybe I'm just being naive. Um, certainly if I talk about my company and the company I represent, um, yeah, our, our diversity inclusion strategy starts very clearly it's about leadership, it's about taking a position, uh, intellectually understanding the value of uh, diversity inclusion, uh, choosing or, or emotionally connecting with it, but then really important choosing to do something about it, taking the leadership position. So our diversity inclusion strategy is all about leadership and it's around exactly these issues, it's inclusion of LGBTI people, it's inclusion of you know, ethnic difference uh, uh, people that have got uh, disabilities, uh, and, and obviously gender, and uh, it's about how do we create better workplaces and then communicate that out to our customers and communities, because we're just a microcosm of, of society. So, probably a naive response, but that's I'm going to hold to.
0: You're listening to a panel discussion on pinkwashing and the corporate sector and the GLBTI community uh, with speakers yours truly, Greg Adkins of the Anti-Violence Project of Victoria Stephen from National Australia Bank and others, uh, moderated by the Vice President of Globe. Come back and have part two very, very shortly. 3CR, 855am digital, 3cr.org.au, out of the pan with Sally.
1: Hi, this is Liz Stringer, and you're listening to The Mighty 3CR on 855 AM and digital radio, 3cr.org.au. Tune in to
4: Tech
3: Radio.
1: The first Hazzaragi Youth show on 3CR, 855 AM, every Sunday from 5 to 5.30 PM.
0: 3CR, 855am, digital3cr.org.au. Out of the pan with Sally with a special presentation. Um, the um, panel on corporate sector and LGBTI put on by Globe as part of their business lunch network. Um, there was such a thing as a, fr- as a free lunch. Um, anyway, no, I spoke my little insides out for it. Let's go back and have a listen to part two, more of the discussion on pinkwashing, right and wrong in between.
2: Let's hear what
0: we have to say. Do you want to say something,
2: yeah. Um, one of the original, um, where the pinkwashing came from, came from the state of Israel, and that was sort of where um, a lot of activists picked up. in that Israel sort of advertises itself as a very gay-friendly uh, destination. Um, you know, Tel Aviv Pride attracts you know, more than a quarter of a million people um, to it, and so I think this is where a lot of um, people get upset with the term, and that um, a lot of people define pinkwashing as covering up or or distracting with this progressive issue, of quite a it, some people will call it a political issue, but I call it a very safe issue, um, especially in the West where we're very accepted, I mean marriage equality, 70% of Australians support it, so it's a very safe issue um, and a very attractive one, um, so it's not necessarily targeting just gay consumers but targeting our allies which make the majority of the population as well. Um, so, at a corporate level, like there's probably nothing quite as bad as, say, um, I mean, it's touching on political issues, but on what, what's happening in Israel-Palestine. But that's um, sort of the sort of perspective that people are coming from with that. And um, it's also interesting to note that, yes, there will be a lot of companies that take advantage of us and whatnot, but um, there's a lot of research that suggests that we can sort of spot a fake when we see one. Mm. Um, there's research that goes that we... We will support someone, we will sort of dip our toes with a company that's sort of trying to court us. But unless we see solid real life benefits to our community with what you were doing, like I'm really proud that you were, despite what we were doing so horribly to your business, that you were still giving back. And sure, I mean, you could can, can take money from your straight customers and funnel it back to us because <laughs> we're fine with that. Um, so, that that's sort of we, our our support, our pink wash our, our being pink washed isn't unconditional, and um we should never forget, let it become um, conditional. We should never let ourselves be taken advantage of. We should always fight for um, our community. We should mm-hmm. always maintain cohesion with that. Um, so I think that way we can actually use pink washing to our absolute advantage. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Look, um, I'm glad I've heard some of the comments thus far, and I think a couple of things. We're in an era now where A, your average, the standard GLBTI punter is pretty savvy, well connected, um, has access to social media and a wide range of opinions and people can sniff things pretty quickly and so an organisation that says it's GLBTI friendly and only uses gay and lesbian and um, in some of its literature will instantly alienate bi and trans and probably intersex as well. I don't want to speak for a group that I don't want to identify with myself. Um, Similarly, the other thing is, and this has only struck me really for the first time in the last few weeks, for the first time in modern history, at least in Australia, it seems suddenly LGBTI are in the driver's seat. You know, in the past it feels like we've almost had to come begging to everyone, give us our rights, give us a fair go. And now it's just like, hey, we're part of society. We have unique contributions to make as every individual will. And so your average GLBTI puncher, if they sniff something isn't right, we'll just say we'll go to somewhere else or we'll work out something else, Um, you know. Hard when you may not get accurate service from the tax office because they've got a monopoly, but they're not a corporate either. So um, it's just about being aware of that and also covering all of diversity. You know, I could um, stretch on to that because um, I've got some examples that could really get us beyond. I've got some ideas that could get us, could be some simple places to start, but also could get
1: us beyond 101. But I'll, I'll tease you and hold them later. <laughs> You've actually all touched on this, and this is inclusion. So, this word comes up a lot now, and particularly within the corporate sector, but I think more broadly in society. So, can you talk to me about what true inclusion means for the community? And you've certainly touched on that, Sally. Um, and how can the business community really engage with the LGBTI community in full? Oh, yep.
5: <laughs>
3: So so that's a, that's a great question and, and uh, the, the, the danger about language is it starts to get used and people actually don't think what's underneath. the So I'll give you the definition because I understand the language we're working in and the company I work for and that, that is about uh, how, do we, how do we create, I mean we've got 42,800 people that work for the uh, National Australian Bank globally. You know, how do we create an environment uh, and we're in, we're in a highly competitive environment for talent. Uh, and you know, we know that, that, that um, we want the maximum discretionary effort from people, we want people to love work. In fact, when we, when we took our diversity inclusion strategy through the board about this time last year, we made a refresh, focusing on, uh, on some big uh, big issues around leadership. I used the word love, and it's apparently the first time the word love has been in a board. I uh, sat there with Ken Henry and Michael Cheney and people like that talking about why inclusion is really important and what it means, and um, so it's it, how do you create an environment that allows people to come to an organisation to be themselves, and, and, and that means to be to be to be open and or not to, to have the choice and not to fear the consequence of being able to be themselves. So how do we, and we codify behaviour you know, uh, um, in our performance management system where we're. We're concerned about what people actually do uh, but how they do it, so conduct and behaviour is really important. And, and we codify it into to, to how we view and reward and uh, that element around, um, around inclusion and the how. So, so, so it's, it's, a, it's a nebulous concept but it is. And, and, and it's creating that environment that allows people to give it their very best and I think what's the most important piece, and I'm a psychologist, organizational organizational psychologist by my background, uh, um, is, is people always have to have hope. And so, so how do you create an environment that allows people to come to work, give it their very best, and see the possibility for what could be in the future? That's the hope bit. And that, that for me, is all
4: wrapped mm-hmm. up in the inclusion piece. So. Yep. Maybe
5: mm-hmm.
4: so. the hope is there will be your role one day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, For me, inclusion, the little eye we have at the end of GLBT, the eye, um, we always put a little eye at the Anti-Violence Project. We do that for a reason because, I mean, Stephen's population at at NAB, we'll have about 730 intersex people on your staff. Mm -hmm. That 1.7% is the um, population of intersex people across Australia, By the the best... researchers out there and a lot of those people won't know that they're intersex, they won't know that they're, they're XXY or a variant on a whole range of different intersex um, characteristics and um, they won't know but when they do know it's about inclusion. Now most of those won't be allied with the LGBTI part, it, for them it's not a natural fit, for many intersex people it's it's about heteronormative battle and how to fit in the the broader community um, their challenge around violence their um, uh, characteristics might make them a bit more feminine they might have narrower features they might have wispy facial hair they might have a lot of prejudice in a whole range of areas that doesn't extend to their connection to yeah. the lgbti community so your challenge there is how to broaden the reach for intersection the intersection with intersection into uh intersex community so you can encompass those people in their lives and make them feel welcome, without again pigeonholing them amongst the L, G, and the B, and the T. Mm. So that, that's a challenge. For you is that next dimension of intersex, intersex inclusion. Mm. So I, I, not to respond to that. I, I think it,
3: it's a journey, uh, and I know it sounds very cliche, but it, it, it's we're learning as we go. It's how do you create the environment and build on that? So, you know I, as Sally said at the very beginning. Uh, um, you know, the challenge, it was a challenge directly to us as an organisation, we weren't treating people as we should be so you've got to fix it. So, so I think it's if you adopt that learning and openness to being challenged you're more likely to improve and that's what we've really tried to do. I want to give you a stat actually um, when, we, when we launched Pride at Lamb, we did about three and a half years ago uh, um, we did the work we had for the launch about three, three years ago. Um, the bit that was um, it was about actually communicating strongly to the organisation about um, um, support. Um, we do an annual engagement survey where we try and find out how people are feeling about our company and how engaged they are. Um, for the first time we asked the question around uh, um, sexuality, we asked, we asked a narrow question, we asked a gay, lesbian, and um, that was done for a number of reasons. But, we're horrified that such a small percentage identified in the first year uh, I think mean, it was around two percent um, what happened is over subsequent years the more work we've done about communicating openness and acceptance and pride in that, uh, and that and what that means to them having our really senior leaders front things there I mean it's gone it? I don't know what it is this year we just. Uh, stats but the last time we did it was up just under like 5%, which is way off where other organisations are, and, and we know the numbers are much more than that, but it's a, it's a journey, so I think the point is well made, um, I think it's being open uh, and doing what we can to, to continue that journey
5: of
2: uh, um, <clears throat> I mean we've touched on diversity and everything so I won't talk about that, but I think in a, an important aspect of inclusion is um, legitimisation, um, especially because we're sort of coming into the foray of being um, legally on par with um, heterosexuals with marriage equality in this country at some stage, hopefully, eventually. Um, in that we also need to maintain the, legitimate, the legitimacy of people who don't necessarily want to fit the moulds that you want them to fit in. Um, you know, we'll throw out that type of word, heteronormativity or whatever. Um, you know, we need to maintain legitimacy of single people, of um, of all the members of LGBTIQ. We need to remember all the other letters, um, people, their expression. Um, again, diversity comes into this. How people choose to express themselves. Um, it it all needs to be legitimised. And and corporations have such a huge role in society, um, a huge role to play with legitimisation. I mean, um, we just need to look at, you know, the ad in the Australian when. Um, Australian Marriage Equality, had, at that time 53 companies, mm. take out the ad and that's just an enormous um, act of legitimisation for our community, um, especially on a broader scale. Yes, there's plenty we can do within our community, I'm talking to sort of probably the, the converted here, but we also need to take these lessons to the broader community and show them um, that we can really legitimise each other, we can legitimise especially underrepresented people By taking these actions, and yes, people call it pinkwashing. People accuse us of flamboyancy, of of of, you know pandering to us, of you know making shallow statements or whatever. But at the end of the day, it is you're still helping people, and even if it helps one person, if one person sees a gay TM or whatever and says, "Oh, you know what? I actually feel like I belong." Well, then that's that's all that really matters.
0: Through (laughs) CR. And that was um, part of our ongoing um, corporate sector and the Gelbti-ish community panel. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm just going to go straight on. Let's go on with part three and see what our panelists have to say. Uh, I'll, I'll, this is—I've got to say—this couldn't have been better premeditated than World Wrestling Entertainment if we tried, because it's flowing brilliantly. Because I can follow from what everyone else has said <laughs> quite naturally. But um, first of all, can I just um, thank Stephen to my immediate right for mentioning um, singles. If there was a bit of a grumble recently about the US Supreme Court decision, it was those words that said, you'll be lonely if you're not married. Mm. I don't see myself in a standard, if I can use the term picket fence relationship, I'm quite happy about that and my life is the best it's ever been. And I was a bit... No, I was going to say frustrated and annoyed. I'll be honest and say frustrated and extremely annoyed by that wording. So I want to to acknowledge your mention of singles. Let's respect singles as well. But I want to follow from Greg who mentioned intersex. I'm I'm feeling like, OK, maybe we won't stretch to 999. Let's go at least to 500 or something. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give again a good good story and a bad story. Um, I'll let you vote quickly. Who wants the good first? (laughs) Who wants the bad first? Yeah. Alright, we'll, we'll get the bad out of the way again, fair enough. And this one wasn't in a corporate but it was still in a large organisation and this is a person who identifies as other than male or female, non-binary. And it was in a hospital and one of the chief doctors said to this person, oh you've come to work in your pyjamas because you've got a round neck top on. Now that's grossly illegal under Federal Equal Opportunity Law, not good enough. So. I'm really glad that, if I can say stick from NAB identified this idea of unconscious bias, mm-hmm. that we expect people to identify as one or the other and then that means not being very horribly stereotypical suit and tie or, um, well as they said on one of those 90s comedy shows, a girly blouse sort of thing. And of course, you know, we are moving away from that. We've got 33% of young trans and gender diverse people alone identifying as other than male or female. Also, I want to point out something else that leads from that story. I went and gave a talk at university, at one of the campuses during the um, consent weeks about loving all genders. The second question, why do we need this?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The, break, the diversity of gender is accelerating rapidly, and so for corporate recruiting part, um, people, they're going to have to get in touch with that now, otherwise you'll lose some good people that the binary is breaking down. The good story? And this is where I'm really, stre- I'm going to stretch well, maybe to 600 polyamory, multiple ethical relationships mm. had a story of um, and I'm only not going to name the organisation just to protect the person involved here, just in case they're not out and this organisation called someone into the office and said look we need you to work interstate for a couple of months um, we can offer you an apartment, rent free, blah 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 and they hesitated and the um, corporation said, why not? And they said, well, I've, I'm polyamorous, I've got two partners. Happily, the corporation said, oh, that's all right, we'll get you a three-bedroom apartment, job done. So this is the sort of things that's happening again, and the same survey of young trans people found 11% of young trans and gender diverse people identifying as in open or polyamorous relationships. So again, the things are moving fast on this, so it is about looking at unconscious biases that we may have and saying, well, hang on, if we're valuing diversity, if we value every individual for their unique strengths and val- and positivities and, you know, all that sort of thing, then we say, well, could all those things, gender non-binary, polyamory, be strengths that could feed into their work performance could well be, makes them creative and open-minded. So that's the sort of thinking, I, I think, that has, adds value to any organisation, corporate, small business, not-for-profit or public sector. <coughs>
4: A couple years ago, I was on the board of Family Planning in Victoria and we, um, on the board, we changed to a, a really inclusive practice about all the work we did, included everything we we're talking about today. And we, um, we found there was a resistant edge of staff that say, well, why would we look at gay issues all the time with sexual health and family planning? Why are we looking at lesbian health? Mm. And they resisted and they pushed back and the moment we got rid of it, well, the CEO got rid of it, but the board was certainly behind it. Uh, the churn went from the rest of the staffing component where we get very good staffing and the costs went right down. I moved from that to be the CEO of the National Body Sexual Health and Family Planning Australia and I did the same strategy. And at the end of my time as CEO, my, my doctors, my nurses, my educators working in undeveloped nations to lift the standard of sexual health practice, we were almost 40% LGBTI. Yeah. We'd, um, we've taken over because we were the people who were more inclusive, we work with people who were different to us. Yeah. So there's an advantage for organisations um, around having LGBTI inclusive practice in terms of cost, in terms of staffing profile and then savings on costs for retaining staff along the way and uh, on those small national bodies working with small staff we're eminently successful. What's it been like for you Steve? So, um,
3: Sort of an adjacent point I'm going to make. I was thinking as you were talking about um, One of the things that's been really important for us has been um, uh, people that are not LGBTI, their reaction to what we've done with Pride. Uh, and, and so our network, I, I have no idea in our, in our network how many uh, of uh, our people would identify as LGBTI. Let's say we've got 1,500 people that actually actively support it's the allies and, and it's the people that are not LGBTI.
1: The role that they play in there is really important. That's the first point I uh, wanted
5: so to make. The second point's gone out uh, my mind. I'll come back to you in a second. While you come back to that, I've got a question no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, from the floor. Thank you. I'm Daniel Boney. I'm from the Style Server magazine. And um, I just wanted to actually um, I just wanted to reflect a little bit. We obviously deal with me and, and a lot of all the banks and all the corporates who want to connect with our community um, in different ways. I think there's there's a number of different ways that corporates, small and large, um, want to connect with the community. Um, one of them is to sell stuff, to sell widgets, to get people the bank, bank accounts. The gay community is a good market. The market has got a good disposable income. I think that's pretty healthy. And I think that it's the way that we fund Star Server, which, you know, as a community-owned property organisation is the way that uh, Melbourne Crick Film Festival is funded to the degree. It's the way that a lot of the community organisations we love survive. Now, the sponsorship's part of that mix. So that's one reason um, people want to sell things to us. I do also think that some organisations are genuinely socially progressive, and I think that's fantastic. And I think um, that all the banks have an of that. They really have an agenda, and part of that is around the, the processes within the banks, around... Um, making sure that they are LGBT and are friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that, particularly at the big end of town, I, I see that people are, do have a social aggressive agenda. Some very small companies come to us and say, we just want to help the youth suicide population, the LGBT community, they don't want to advertise them. So sometimes that's the driver. Um, I've got to say that a big area that we see is competition, particularly amongst the banks, the law firms, Accounting companies, just repeat their papers. And if you go to the uh, Pride and Diversity Awards, it's a very competitive um, cool. event where everyone's really only interested in how the other banks are doing or how the other law are doing. I think that's a great thing because it's driving change. And the improvements we see in the, uh, the Pride Diversity Index, the Australian Workplace Quality Index, each year is fantastic. So to get into the index this year, you got have won three years ago. You know, the, the rate of change is fantastic and I, I think I, the, the term pink wash is, sounds negative. There are some people who just want to sell widgets. You know? I don't know that that's necessarily bad but generally what we see is there is a, there's a complete agenda. And I think the other thing that, that we see, and again, typically at big in town, is a lot of people are doing it for HR reasons. You know? That's internal to a degree. They want to look after the staff they've got but also to a great degree of recruitment. They want to be seen as the of choice. And it um, the, the seems that uh, it is a journey, I think. Uh, that's very true. You know, there's, there's steps. And I, I went to the um, a, a diversity conference. And I met somebody I never expected to see there. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm a diversity consultant. I said, well, I didn't think you'd be in this place at all. And I'm working with a company. we try to get women in there. That's the, this was last year. That was their diversity team. And I think you know there is a journey, and when people are getting to the gay and the lesbian, that means they're probably quite good on women, they're probably quite good on racial equality. And once they go through the LGBTI list, they're getting better and better across the board as employers. So I, I just wanted to really put to people that I think overall it's a really positive thing. It's really helpful for our community. I think what the banks and other corporates are doing. I, I think the, the, the issue for a lot of organisations is it's pretty scary. Um, when I speak to a lot of people about just wanting to sell widgets, I say, oh, well, you know, we've got an LGBT audience. No, sorry, I thought you we were gay paper. No. Um, so just making it easy and accessible so that more people can come and more, more people can support and do the right thing and make better employers, better people to do business friendly to work with is, is the real challenge. So I guess my question is, how can we actually make more businesses perhaps pink wash or become
1: supporting? That's you,
0: the panel. How, did, how can we do that? I'd like to, I'd respond to two things. Look, I think it comes down to anything, which is I hope what GLBTI people have wanted: take everything on its merits. And your every every GLBTI punter will make a decision on as a consumer according to their own values and principles as to whether they'll support a GLBTI, uh, an organisation or not. And I suppose as someone who does training in age care on how to make an organisation LGBTI inclusive, the same principles apply. It's got to be whole of organisation, um, you know, right from the start. So for a, some trans women, um, you know, you might say GLBTI and then bring up the organisation and um, the trans woman goes, my best B grade acting voice... Uh, Yeah, I'd like to speak to a certain department. Yes, sir, how can we help you? You've just blown it. Mm. So it means doing it from the receptionist all the way through to the CEO. Um, But the other thing is I will have to call you on the women's thing, and this is where I'm going to go to 999, um, because I was speaking at an out in Australia, um, no, sorry, at um, a function at Ida Hobbit Day, and I brought up the idea that whilst... Companies want to do the right thing by women. Yes, we want diversity. Yes, we want your skills. But the moment they get in, it's then a case of, ah, but you have to behave in masculine ways. Do the firm handshake, the networking. And I had a huge round of applause from a few women up the front whose deeper sense of gender expression and communication is feminine, that they feel they have to really adapt themselves and so for that poor company that's only just getting its um, head together on women, um, I think they're going to have some distance to travel. And again, this is an unconscious bias thing, that we're so dominated in a masculine world of all sorts that perhaps people haven't thought about it. This is where I see, and I'll declare all possible bias, I think this is where trans and gender diverse people have a huge role to play in this area about uncovering that unconscious bias and doing that cultural change for any organisation because we have that, that unique insight that sort of breaks, um, to use my favourite, hashtag, hashtag binary busters. So there's a few thoughts from me. Three CR eight five five AM digital three CR dot org dot You're listening to a panel um, discussing GLBTI in the corporate sector, put on by Globe um, back on the thirty first of July, and did want to mention that because there were a couple of references to marriage, obviously that happened before the um, coalition conscience vote, and at the time of putting this together, at the time before um, the, the latest leadership spill. So, um, well, we've just. Um, um, nothing, nothing stands still anymore. The only thing constant is change. We'll be back to wrap up with the final um, segment of um, the panel discussion uh, in just a second. Three CR eight five five AM digital three cr dot org dot au. Out of the pan with Sally. <laughs>
1: From Salentino. This is 3CR855 on your IM dial. Please subscribe. The community is important. The spirit of community is the most important thing. So
5: subscribe. Subscribe.
0: Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi or email info at buy-alliance.org 3CR 855am digital 3cr.org.au and on demand out of the pan with Sally and of course um, celebrate bisexuality day September 23 every year and whatever the fourth Tuesday of the month is usually falls very close to that being the Buy Alliance discussion group well, let's wrap up the corporate discussion panel um, follow, with a range of voices on um, the corporate sector and LGBTI held, um, put on by Globe, on the 31st of July this year.
3: So I, I agree with all those issues. I actually agree with everything you've said. We very consciously, again, uh, in our support for Midsummer, um, chose not to ever do a product type push. This was all around, around uh, us within the community and what it means for, for our employees, our customers, and, and the community. And you can you take a cynical view of that or you could actually say it's about, it's really genuinely about projecting what, the sort of values uh, uh, that we want, we want to project. Um, what's been really interesting is, is when I, uh, a number of years ago, um, when I picked up the diversity accountability uh, um, alongside uh, my, my core role, um, the minute you say diversity it really went gender uh, mm-hmm. because there's such a, a big uh, challenge for, for corporates around uh, and organisations around around how do you develop the pipeline of female talent and get better representation of, of uh, females in more senior executive positions uh, and that is a real challenge that one um, the challenge is uh, uh, that the, the minute you say diversity you went straight to gender and that kind of like has some negative uh, implications for, uh, for, for both women going through that but also uh, what it means for, for men's careers and so we wanted to change the narrative uh, and, and change it around to inclusion uh mm-hmm. with a play into the gender and other areas following on from it and so it's been it's been an evolution what we've experienced is that uh, through the lgbti work we've done it's acted as a proxy for many other things Uh, around uh, inclusion and diversity and it's been so constructive, it it really has. Uh, Again, I'm probably sounding a little bit naive, but uh, I think it comes down, uh, if you would, my personal view about this issue uh, and issues of diversity and inclusion in big corporates begins and ends with leadership. When the CEO or the chairman or chairperson, however we want to position them, sorry, I didn't... It's come up when they are actually role modelling inclusion uh, and, and uh, demonstrating in a really authentic way that they value difference. That's when you start to get change. Uh, you can probably tell I like the company I work.
1: For. <laughs> Wonderful. I can see uh, the meals are coming out. we have going to a couple more questions from myself, but. Um, The LGBTI community is, I think, seeing a bit of a flood of support from corporates and whether you want to call it pinkwashing or something else, um, I think it's quite positive. But uh, do you think this is on the wave of the prominence of the marriage equality debate? And do you think it will last? When we get marriage equality, do you think there will still be momentum there behind the LGBTI community or will the corporates move on to something else?
2: Well, we're, we're pretty fashionable at the moment, <coughs> as we've seen. Um, we, we see, it bubbling to the surface, um, trans rights and issues and whatnot. Um, you know, The US is ahead of us for a while there, and you can probably speak more on that in the <laughs> country. Um, but I think what it comes down to is that um, sort of our realm of of being acceptable um, to be talked about and approached um, from a corporate perspective um, has gone beyond just corporate social responsibility. We've gone from the domain of being something discretionary to now being something ethical. So now it's not just at the discretion of managers or individual companies, but now it's sort of become an expectation that you have to be accepting. And those that don't, that don't accept us very much fall by the wayside. Um, I mean, thanks to social media and whatnot, we see boycotts at front and centre in the US. Um, There's one currently this horribly homophobic bakery just outside of Adelaide. Um, So I don't think... I think now that we've sort of come over to this realm, we, we won't necessarily fall off the wayside. But we... I mean, especially for marriage equality advocates, that's sort of the end goal. Um, so to a lot of people, it will be like, oh well, we, we actually don't mind if we fall off off the radar because we've got what we want. Whereas in fact, um, LGBTIQ youth suicide is ridiculous. Um, rights for the rest of our rainbow are ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I was using the comparison earlier with um, African Americans in the US. Um, they're afforded full equal rights, um, but look at how they're treated. And I'm by no means making comparison to how LGBTIQ people are treated here in Australia. We have been extremely well off, we should be very grateful. But um, there's certainly a long way to go. And um, we don't necessarily want to be assimilated, but we, we do want to be included and, and maintain our diversity. So I think yeah, that's something to consider. Yeah,
4: well, I'm a firm believer that marriage has rolled on the wave of the greatest push in equality that ever happened, that was around our push for equal rights in terms of de facto relationships, our uh, discrimination laws that we had nationally, a whole range of things that were achieved in the 80s and 90s that were achieved and didn't get the rah-rah that marriage is gonna get when, when the can goes off and we get sprinkles everywhere. Um, for me though, the, it's more than just marriage. We're talking about Adam goods at the moment and about racial slurs around the football ground, but a few years ago, in 2010, Sally and I were partners in a, in a project called No to Homophobia. When our No to Homophobia videos, the television videos went up across the TV screens but also went up around the MCG on, on the big screens at the MCG, there's a ripple of homophobic comments and diatribe abuse mm. that went right around the oval. It existed all the way around there. No one was saying anything about it, but thank you AFL for putting these things on the, on the big screen. Um, if you think Adam Goods is able to have one or two or ten or a hundred comments around the Oval that are racist towards him, multiply that by a factor of twenty and you're know, probably looking at the that we still face in society today and that big corporate giant, the thinks they're doing marvellously around inclusion. <laughs> um, we've got far more to worry about than the timing of marriage equality which will come. It's, it's about what we do beyond that. What we're talking about really is about changing society so that a homophobe can't be homophobic outside the small room they um, occupy to have the morning bum. I, I don't want them to be homophobic in their own lounge room and leave it at home because that'll affect their kids, that'll affect the people yeah. coming to their houses. Do it away in the bush, in the, uh, the you know, fly-written poe down the back. <laughs> and we've got to change society. Sorry about that during <laughs> <laughs> so that um, we have a lasting change and not just marriage policy rather. I, I'm, I, I think you're trying
1: to yeah, wrap up. Yeah, I'm going to wrap you up. This I'll, be,
3: I'll be really brief. Um, I don't think so. I, I, I think that uh, um, there's always going to be. Uh, um, uh, progress that needs to be made, there's always going to be education, there's always going to be learning, and development at the individual level. Um, The interesting thing actually is how we treat people that have very different views to us as we go through this, and that's always been a very interesting, We could debate that one uh, strongly. I'm strongly of the the personal engagement. Yeah, even if their views are violently different, actually engaging them in the process is, uh, uh, is really important. You, you mentioned the AFL, I'm just going to give a, we did uh, with the AFL the first ever uh, Nat Challenge game uh, uh, in May this year with uh, Sydney Swans and the Fremantle Dockers. Uh, um, people were aware that was the first time ever that they did an AFL sanctioned uh, um, anti homophobia game. Uh, and then there's obviously the Community Cup. So, uh, Nan is working very closely with the AFL. About just watch this space, actually. Yes. This is a really exciting area. And there's some amazing leaders uh, uh, in the AFL uh, uh, that are, uh, and in some of the teams that are, uh, are not LGBTI, but are really sort of doing stuff around challenging challenging. So, I find it exciting, uh, it's progress.
0: Oh. Um, look, a lot to say to that, and just for something different, I was on a panel on Monday night, this time for the Australian Equality Party and a sort of mock queer Q&A, with thankfully no Fred Nile in sight, um, called Are We Over the Rainbow Yet? And I thought this would be a great um, situation to talk about everything. And I was quite, I have to say saddened, and I'm going to say frightened and horrified that 98% of the night was about marriage, and when when people just seem to have a lot of other panellists seem to have no vision beyond marriage now so the thing to be fair is the LGBTI community um, has I think been forced into this marriage first but I want to touch on Um, something that was said about America, I think that to some extent this issue's been pushed on us from overseas because they have less of a tradition of de facto, whereas we have such a stronger one, and there's been considerable angst within LGBTI about how this has created a wider disparity. Um, We touched on the suicide issue um, something that didn't get much coverage, sadly, was the Curtin University research funded by Beyond Blue called the First Australian National Transmental Health Study released in March. 950, 18 plus, which is a very big sample. Depression, four times more likely than the average population. Anxiety, 50% higher over a lifetime, just for starters. So there's huge issues after marriage. And I have to bring something up that... You know, people mentioned, oh, it's great that there were these newspaper ads. Well, two things. First, that was after the Irish referendum when it seemed pretty much done and dusted. But second, where did the money go? It went to corporate advertising departments. That's not supporting the LGBTI community. And when the LGBTI community is so largely unfunded, um, there's very few organisations that have ongoing salaried staff. I think there's reason to raise that. The reason I did a big head shake to Stephen Spence's comments about trans in the US, and this also ties in with this, let's not get overawed by people overseas. Australia in 2013 added three attributes to federal law, being sexual orientation, a comprehensive yet succinct definition of gender identity, but almost close to a world first in terms of intersex status, Whereas the US in 2010, when it did the rough equivalent, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act or ENDA, threw trans under the bus Mm -hmm. and the whole thing was lost and had no idea on intersex. All of Australia's nine states and territories have some degree of ability for trans and gender-diverse people to change birth certificates. The ACT leads the way in terms of self-affirmed identity. The other eight are still on a surgery basis. Mm -hmm. Some US states and to, um, have no ability to change birth certificates. And also, I'm not aware of an outright transphobic murder in Australia now for six years, and I always think that's a very difficult one to bring up at the hate crime level, particularly as much as I can speak again for somebody who's not part of a group against trans women of colour in the US is horrific. So I, I want us to be wary about always looking at local conditions and what a particular country wants, but also in Australia, be aware that there are differences between states and territories and don't just go for the lowest common denominator without being all Bill Laurie on you and going, we're Victorians. We are seen to be setting a higher standard here and I think we need to look at Victoria first rather than rush off to Sydney and say, what are they doing? Nothing against Sydney? Some of my best friends are from Sydney. No, seriously. <laughs> we just need to be really wary that we look at what best practice is and then how we combine it. I also just want to say one thing, I think there's strengths for both Melbourne and Sydney. Melbourne has a very community focused Sydney corporate. How do we put both of them together and make, this is why I'm now largely an ex-accountant, 2 plus 2 equals 5. I think that's our challenge for the future. And I also think that, I just want to add some pragmatic ways that business and corporate could help GLBGI community and that would be to assist us on getting standardised anti-discrimination laws across all jurisdictions, and then later on standardised birth certificate laws. That benefits business and BTI people, and for that matter, government as well. Um, It's a very practical, low-cost, win-win solution that I think could be a great starting point.
1: Wonderful. And on that note, I'm going to let you all get to your meals and the panel as well. But you please thank... Help me in thanking our panel today, Stephen, Greg, Stephen, and Doug. Thank
0: you. Now enjoy. Well, if you're listening to this show between 12 and 1, it's about time for lunch, so I'd better get out of here and make way for freedom of species. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan and corporate and the LGBTI sector. Take it out today with um, John Molyneux and Greg Gardner and the Hen House Shuffle. I think people had chicken for dinner. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you.